Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by super nutritious, super delicious Aloha Protein Powder. Get through the holiday rush with a rush of pure, energizing plant-based protein. Choose from chocolate or vanilla blends for 18 delicious grams of protein power built from the very best whole food ingredients. Enter promo code ALOHA20 on aloha.com to get 20% off orders of $50 or more through December 31st, 2015. This episode is also brought to you by Thrive Market. Here at Nomad Athlete, we care about what we put in our bodies, but as anyone who favors whole organic foods knows, good food can get expensive. Enter Thrive Market, an online shopping club offering the best brands and groceries for up to 50% off retail price and shipped all over the United States for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash athlete to start your free two-month trial and get 15% off your first order. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Nomad Athlete Radio. Welcome to episode 120 of Nomad Athlete Radio. I'm Matt Frazier, joined by co-host and award-winning running coach, Doug Hay. Doug, how you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. I'm excited to be here on the episode. I'm also excited about a brand new thing we're doing on Periscope. We are live on Periscope right now. Uh, so if you if you haven't gotten on that train yet, now's the time to do it. I think all you have to do really is sign up for Periscope and then get on Twitter. Follow me at NomadAthlete, uh, all one word on Twitter, and you will, I believe, get notifications if, if all the computers work the way they're supposed to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think you have to have a, a Periscope account. Although if you did, okay. then you could get an alert every time. Like my mom does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she sent us a tweet to, or a text message to let me know the, that she saw Doug's nostrils. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, we got a good topic, good thing today. But first, uh, we're, you know, we're in holiday mode. That's right. I mean, I'm not doing anything except for watching Christmas movies. That, that is almost all I do in the evenings is watch whatever ABC Family's got on or see ABC Family's not doing that well this year it's just the same three movies all the time so are they replaying videos every more than one it's the same it's it's Elf ah. uh, Dr. Seuss is How the Grinch Stole Christmas the the movie of it uh, Polar Express The yep. Santa Claus I mean it's the same five over and over and over which is okay but I'm having to resort to Netflix to go watch previous year's ABC Family specials um, so it's done going well. We watched Holiday in Handcuffs. I watched most of it, and then I had to interview Dr. Greger, uh, which was which was a shame to have to miss some of that, but it will be replayed one more time this season. <laughs> when? When? Everyone wants to know. I think it's December 22nd. I think you actually got some people to watch it. Yeah, some people did. And I, once, they, once I saw that, I was like, oh, no, people were actually going to watch this. I think <laughs> it's really good. And I do think it's good, but I just don't think other people are really going to that much. So we'll see how that goes. Um but yeah, I, I realize if you just go through like Netflix holiday thing, their their category, and if you look look in the description for high powered corporate exec, and if you if one of the characters is that, it's going to be a good movie. Like that's that's how you know it's going to be a good holiday movie. My my friend is kind of getting into the genre, and he tweeted me or texted me and said, you know, I have any good recommendations. What do you mean he's getting into it? Like. Watching them for the first time? Yeah, he was like, I'm, I've been watching a bunch of these Lifetime Christmas movies, and I love it. Like, <laughs> do you have any good... Because he knew that I was into these. Okay. And uh, I was trying to think about, like, how do you sort through them? And I was like, if you can find high-powered corporate exec in the in the description, and that's, like, the main character or the significant other, it's just going to be good. There's going to be hijinks. There's going to... That person's going to learn the true meaning of Christmas because they likely don't know it. <laughs> 
So I, that's just all we're doing. And then I did a service project with my son and went out uh, for his... He does karate, like a Ninja Kids thing. Yep. So we went and uh, they, they not required, but asked to do a little service project now and then. So we went and sorted through apples. And there were just huge boxes of apples. And we had to pull out the bad apples because, as I said, one bad <laughs> apple ruins the bunch, uh, which was... A nice time for me to, to explain that lesson to my to my son and talk about how one bad kid would ruin the bunch of kids. Did were there a lot of bad apples? There were a high percentage of bad apples. Who are you donate them, donating them to? I don't really know. They go on a truck to Knoxville. They probably end up in Whole Foods or something. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, you're just like saving them all, this, <laughs> all the labor. But no, I thought it was good. It felt good. It was fun. Mm-hmm. It, it sends a nice message. Like you know, teaches my my kid a nice lesson. So cool. It was good times. Great, and it was vegan friendly. We weren't sorting like meat or something. You know, meat packing or something. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm sure it's got to be done. I mean, yeah, packing can. Hopefully not by little kids though. Hopefully not. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, in other news, what we're actually talking about today is inspired. Well, inspired by a few things. First of all, this this. Uh, crotch story we've been setting up for the past few weeks that happened with you uh it's a good story it's, it's pretty it's pretty pretty gross so watch out uh but we also we get the question a lot in email people saying i want to know how do you deal with uh like when you're injured with running how do you deal with the emotional and mental aspects of not being able to run because you know as runners when when we get into running that's kind of all we want to think about and I'm, maybe I'm an exception to this sometimes, but even me, I can get into running where I really am super into it. And, you know, it just, it just, you just can't wait to get your run in the next day and the next day and the next day. Uh, and then often that's what leads to the injury, just because that's, again, the nature of running is you, you're most likely to get injured when you're putting in too many miles and you're doing that when you're most excited about running. Right. So I have experienced that before, but it's been a really long time. So I've never really had great answers for like, how do you deal with this? How do you deal with these, this emotional thing? Uh, but you kind of experienced some of that, being being a pretty much everyday runner and then yeah. not being able to run for a few weeks, not a long time, but for two solid weeks. Yeah. So uh, we're going to we're gonna jump into that stuff. Uh, so why don't you, Doug... Um, oh, we got a new segment. Yeah. New segment. So okay. along with this Periscope thing, this this was the, the result of a, of a long meeting we had. Long brainstorming session. Yes. We want to do a little bit more fun live radio-ish segments uh, one of which is going to be called Doug's Did You Know? <laughs> what is that? Is it the theme song? No. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded like scary almost. Uh, no, and then you said you and Katie spent all this time coming yeah, up well, theme songs. That's what you got? It's like... <laughs> do, 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 Doug's Did You Know? Okay, alright. And then Katie's idea was, was to go the Doug cartoon route, which, by oh, the way, is on Hulu, up? and we've been watching it. Oh, um, nice. Do 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 dogs uh-huh. did you know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds totally legal to do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, so we're working on a theme song. If you've got jingles or know any jingle writers, uh, there's there's a good opportunity. I think we need some help. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should just record that initial sound you made, <laughs> and we just do do that. Just keep replaying that one for the theme song. It actually sounded a little spooky. I think it did. All um, right. So, dogs, did you know? So let's hear it. Yeah. All right. So, dogs, did you know? Fact of the week. Um, the week. Is, did you know that poison ivy, do you know why poison ivy grows in certain places? I have not a clue. Well, did you know that poison ivy actually is designed to protect 
the rest of the forest. So if there is a place like along a trail or along a garden or some place that you are disrupting nature's habitat by mm-hmm. building a lawn or blazing a trail, okay. then poison ivy swoops in to protect the rest of the forest and keep you and other creatures wow. out. And so that's why you always get it when you're at a campsite or hiking or something like that because it lines the trail. But if you are walking deep within untainted tra- or forest, then then there's no poison ivy. You don't have to worry about it. Okay. That is that is fascinating if it's true. Uh, as someone interested in evolution type things and reader of many Richard Dawkins books, I'm I'm puzzled as to how that would evolve. What do you mean? Like benevolence doesn't really exist. In, in, <laughs> like things don't. It, it, and you said it was designed as if as if we have some some no. designer who is doing that, uh, which the... which can be your belief. It could be anyone's belief. Well, the the purpose that the, the the that it is attracted to those areas. Okay, but in what way does poison ivy benefit from an evolutionary standpoint by protecting the rest of the forest? I have no idea. That's a good question. Skeptical about Doug's did you know? Number one. Oh man, this is if you if you debunk Doug's first <laughs> did you know, <laughs> which very well could happen. I'm sure that if I am making this up, then we will definitely hear about it. Good. All right. Well, this is see. This is a fun segment because now we get to have that discussion. Yeah, and uh, people refer to it as sister ivy because it protects the forest. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Instead so of so maybe maybe somehow it does. Maybe maybe poison ivy benefits along with the rest of the forest when it protects the forest. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's sort of a simple answer, but maybe. Maybe maybe when you knock it, it spreads its seeds somehow or something. I have no idea. <laughs> clearly, okay. clearly Good. I should have done a little more research <laughs> on ducks, did you know? But okay. anyway, I, I'm sharing that uh, poison ivy story, or did you know, because this is really the setup to my crotch story. Excellent, which I've been waiting to rehear for a long time <laughs> since I first heard I feel it. like, should we like put a disclaimer here? Should we say... If you're listening I mean, to us with graphic. kids, yeah. yeah, I mean, we acknowledge the but, but there's nothing male parts. sexual about it. It's just no, of course just not. We say we we use the word the the pen fifteen word. The... <laughs> you know that the pen fifteen club. I, I do know. Okay. <laughs> kids, um, if you're listening, there's a this club called the pen fifteen club, <laughs> and all you have to do is get a pen and write on your arm pen fifteen, and you get fifteen pens a week. <laughs> oh, God. At least that's how I was swindled into into writing peanuts on my arm. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so I ran um, the Sky to Summit 50k about a month, a little more, over a month ago. Yes, went well. Went well. It was down in Georgia. Camped the night before. Set up camp. It was dark out. Went out into the woods to gather firewood to build a little fire so I could have a beer and sit by the fire while I ate dinner. And that all went good. Everything went great. Ran the race. Uh, race went pretty well. Felt good. Came home. Or all right, so, I, so that was a couple hours away. Was the race? So I ran the race. Took. I camped. I ran the race. I got home, and Katie and I went out for a drink and for a dinner without showering. So it was it was about nine p.m. before I showered. So it had been forty hours or something. Okay. Since showers, and well over twenty four hours since camping right it's like sidgar's a hillman approach (laughs) yeah that's right so this is this is important to the story okay all right so then i shower go to bed wake up 
early in the morning to some itching and the groin area. Nice. It doesn't really go away, so I go to the bathroom and check it out. I see some red dots. I'm like, oh man, what's going on? My initial thought was jock itch, was that it was a fungus from being in dirty clothes and uh, you know my running shorts for so long. Treated it with some doc- jock itch cream. Went the next day, it got much worse, made it about 24 more hours before it had really gotten bad all over my penis and all, <laughs> all between my legs. And we're talking about some really big, puffy red spots all over the underwear region. Okay. Um, and then, of course, by now I'm like really freaking out and, I, and I'm pretty sure that it's not Jock Inch. <laughs> Because the cream is just making it worse. The ointment is just making it worse. It's very uncomfortable. It's just very swollen. So I go to the doctor, and they give me. They say, yeah, it's poison ivy. Or they, they actually didn't know what it was, but they thought it could be that. So they gave me some steroids that would help with the swelling. The steroids did help with the swelling, but what happened is that... This is the, this is the gruesome part. Okay, love this part. <laughs> that the pus that had been in filling up these big, giant red... Um, welts began to drain down to the head of the oh, nose. <laughs> okay. Is it too much? Too much? No, no. So then it was I mean, a, like there was a golf ball sized sack of pus there. <laughs> you wanted me to I share think, this yeah, story. I, I, did. I, I definitely did. So, yeah, anyway, that helped a little bit, but it took like two weeks for us to really, um, or for me to, to really get comfortable and there was some very uncomfortable nights and some very uncomfortable days i really went at least a full week without putting pants on other than to go to the doctor didn't leave the house at all certainly couldn't run um you know it spread well beyond just the crotch region all up my chest and neck and down my legs it was all over the place it was a really a bad experience i thankfully it, it didn't get on my face or my hands so that's good that is very good so you when you say you didn't put on pants for a week like you just Wore nothing, like walked around the house. I sat in boxers, like loose loose boxers. Okay. Wow. Um. Yeah. I mean, pants. It was just so uncomfortable. Any sort of pressure would would be terrible. Would be, and it would just you know any sort of rubbing flared up the itchiness, and then then that made me itch, and then that just made it that much more uncomfortable. It was like ten days later that I went came over here. Mm -hmm. If you remember that, Mm -hmm. and things were going well. We were hanging out. It was good, Um, and then. By like the night end, and actually that night when I got home, because that was the first time I had had on pants for longer than an hour or two, and and we had been gone all day. We'd been walking around in town, so it was like five hours in pants. And that night I laid in bed, and I have never been more uncomfortable in my entire. My legs were on fire. Um, I had I took like a cold ice bath, and then got back in bed and just flared right back up. It was really bad. That's terrible, Doug. I mean that that just sounds awful. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to how to come out of a story like that. Um, I had a, had a nice segue into our topic. Well, I first periscope. That, I'm talking that, about my crash. I, I know. Look at us. This is why I stick to road running. I think <laughs> it's just uh, I've never had something like that happen on the roads. So let's get to uh, let's get to the real reason why we tell that story, which yeah. is to talk about the issues surrounding not being able to run. Right. Well, yeah. So, you didn't run for two weeks. I didn't run for two weeks. And you, an everyday runner, didn't like that. No, I didn't. Of course, I didn't. Um, but I guess bigger than that is the, is the pain. How to deal with the actual pain you were feeling, and how do you how do you get yourself to focus on something different, 
or forget about it? I mean, what what did you do to not think about it? Yeah, <laughs> I think that this this is a, a big thing that I'm sure that people deal with all the time for much longer than a few weeks, um, and they have to cope with the pain and cope with the very uncomfortable sensation that they're feeling for me is from poison ivy. Um, there are you know there were a couple of different things that I had to do, which I think are kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I really tried to practice mindfulness a lot, which is. Um, you know, just acknowledging the fact that there is pain, acknowledging this emotion, this discomfort, trying not to dwell on it, trying to acknowledge it and then let it go, let it float away. Um, so not trying to block it out, but, you know, by acknowledging it, you're kind of accepting it mm-hmm. and then letting it go. Um, and that's something I, I practice in running all the time. I think that that's a really powerful tool when you're tired and uncomfortable during a run um, in a race to just kind of not try to block that out necessarily or try to avoid it but or dwell on it of course but to acknowledge it and let it go so i feel like that like that comes up with meditation all the time that that they say when you're trying to learn to meditate uh, i mean first of all people probably suggest meditation during these times Mm -hmm. Uh, but in my experience that's always been difficult like when i'm going through something that i then say well this is a situation where they tell you to meditate to me all i can do is think about this thing that's going on meditation doesn't seem to help me but what I think is helpful about meditation is that it, if, if you do it, practice it as a, as just an ongoing thing, when, when there are, you know, in good times and bad, uh, you learn the skill of mindfulness. You learn the skill of being able to feel an itch in your body, and you're just sitting there meditating, and you don't want to move, and you don't want to just scratch this itch, but you acknowledge that it's there, and you think about it. And eventually, sometimes you have to. Like, the, sometimes right. you just have to do that. But uh, other times, you, you're sitting there meditating... And if you're not doing it for a set amount of time, one of the techniques learned from Leo Babauta, Zen Habits, one of our friends, yep. um, was to when you feel like stop doing it, this is kind of when you're learning to meditate, to notice that, fir- that first urge to get up and stop doing it and then actually push through that and, and notice it and say, acknowledge that you feel like getting up right now, but then saying, just because I feel like I have to do this thing doesn't actually mean that the automatic response has to be, therefore, I indulge that urge and get up. Right. So you sit through that one time, and I think he recommended that you let this urge come and go two or three times before you actually get up. Hmm. So I feel like that's to me, is the major benefit of meditation. More than whatever physical relaxation you feel or, or the mental calmness that might result is this ability to create that space between urge and reaction to the urge. Right. Which just comes from acknowledging it. Uh, so I think that's, that to me is the, the biggest thing is just being able to notice something and then not necessarily do an instant reaction to it, to have this little space between noticing and acting. However, what I was saying though is it's like with running, I've never really been good at that. Like when it's actual physical pain that I'm having, I've never been good at saying, okay, I noticed that that pain is there, but I'm just not going to let it bother me. <laughs> this is pain. I mean, it's, it's there to bother you. That's what right. it does. Yeah. So... Have you actually had success with that running? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that going back to meditation, I think that part of the hangups for a lot of people is they think that they have to have this quiet mind, right? And when you're just starting to do it and you're just trying to, to learn how to do it, it's it's impossible to shut the mind off like that, right? Sure. Um, and so they think that they're doing it wrong and that they just can't quiet their minds. Um, and I think with running, it's it's the same thing. It's um, you know, as soon as you get start getting tired, you know, late in a race. 
uh, or something or a long run, you start getting tired, you start getting uncomfortable. I'm not talking about a, a sharp pain in your, you know, in your knee that you really should stop running. I'm talking right. about just the aches of, mm-hmm. of running that long or, or that hard or whatever you're doing. Um, yeah, you know, I have been able to, it, it's so easy to get so caught up in that and be like, man, I just am so uncomfortable or it is so cold and I just hate this. And I, you know, it's so easy to switch into that negative headspace, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that I found and I've had luck with, with being able to acknowledge that that stuff's there, think about it for a minute and then just try to try to move on, try to think about something else, you know, not actively try to block it out, but just acknowledge it and let it go. And, and it's, it's, if you don't have any experience with this, you've never really tried that to do that, then it's hard to explain how that would be possible. But if you acknowledge it and, and, you know, kind of what you're saying is, is acknowledge the fact that you want to get up, but then don't get up, you know, right. acknowledge the fact that you're, that you want to slow down, but then don't slow down. Um, and, and just practice that and, and see how that feels. And maybe eventually you'll have to slow down or maybe eventually you'll, you'll have to itch or get up or something like that. But, um, I have been able to, you know, if I can let that go and if I can do that a couple times during a run, then, then normally, yeah, I'll switch over into something else and I might come back to that later. You know, it might be 15 minutes later that I'll come back to that and feel that discomfort again. But so would it be fair then to say, cause this is what it sounds like to me is that you could feel pain that our tendency is to create this big, huge storm story around this pain. Keep telling ourselves something, feeling guilty about the, the training that we didn't do or, or the worry of what this pain is going to mean later for the race or just what this pain implies about how badly you really want to stop now. That focusing, acknowledging the pain, and then moving on isn't going to lessen how much that pain hurts you. But it prevents you from magnifying that with this huge thing that then you just can't possibly forget about this constant chatter and, yeah. and this thing that so it prevents you from blowing that pain into some out of proportion into something that it it you know doesn't need to be absolutely which i think is really the problem that most people face right it's not it's not the fact that they're tired that, right. that you know during a run it's not the fact that i was really itchy it was that w- when you let yourself get all consumed into those negative thoughts then it magnifies it so much more and you just are just so negative about it and you're so caught up in it that you can't help but slow down you can't help but just scratch the crap out of your legs right um and then that's just going to make it worse you know and then you're, you're either going to slow down and not finish the race in the time you wanted or you're going to itch and then all of a sudden you have itched so much that it's just <laughs> incredibly uncomfortable all right this is the fun of periscope i have my seth godin doll and i can hold it up <laughs> This is actually a Seth Godin marketing man doll. Um, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I love this quote. He says that everyone, he mentioned the New York City Marathon, but that's because he's from up there uh, and likes to use specifics in his, in his stories. He says, everyone running the New York City Marathon gets tired, and the people who finish it and enjoy it and come back are the ones who have learned where to put that tired. So mm. it sounds like exactly what you're saying. The people who are going to excel at ultra running or any kind of running are the ones who, you know, everyone experiences the same pain. Everybody gets tired. The elites get tired during this racing, but they don't let that be their reason that they have to now stop or it doesn't turn into some huge story that ruins the whole race for them. The ones who consistently come back and do well at running or ultra running or whatever else uh, are the ones who who have figured out how not to, you know, let let the pain or the tiredness or whatever, let it just be what it is. Mm -hmm. Let it be in that compartment of of your body or brain. doesn't mean you don't feel it. But then you're not putting it, you're not letting it just overtake the whole rest of you. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's exactly right. Wise words of a little plastic man. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. Um, one day on Periscope, maybe we should give the tour of your office and all of the stuff goes. All my stuff goes in paraphernalia. <laughs> yeah, I do have a lot of it. It is. Uh, yeah, you do. Yeah, which is great. We might change our camera angle too. We just this is just what we taped the iPhone up in a way that, <laughs> yeah. that would let us get on Periscope. Yeah. So you know, I think the the mindfulness is a big part. Was a big part of me dealing with the discomfort for a few days yeah, i was taking steroids but they you know they help some for sure but they weren't um doing too much for me um you know patience so you have to kind of I had to be patient every day i was waking up and there was it had spread somewhere else even like a week a week <clears throat> excuse me 10 days later it was of like new spots were popping up and just you know trying not to get too upset about that or i uh, frustrated with that. You know, I definitely had some really low moments there. Katie, <laughs> Katie was practicing patience as well. <laughs> um, and what's the yoga thing you were doing? Was uh, that yeah. a pain relief thing or was that a different? Yoga Nidra is uh, something I mentioned to you. And that was something that I did a lot that, that during that time, it's a, it's called, it's yogic sleep. It's um, kind of that state between awareness and sleep. Mm-hmm. And um, I was having such trouble getting to sleep because it was on my front and my back, so I couldn't lay comfortably without it itching. That um, what we were doing was I was listening to a lot of Yoga Nidra, which is um, kind of a spoken yoga practice. So someone is reading it to you or talking it to you, and you're laying there with your eyes closed, and you're working through um, different awareness things. You're, you're being, without moving, without doing anything, you're you're saying things in your head, and then you're, um, being aware of certain things like your thumb and you just think about your thumb for a minute and then you move to your, your pointer finger and you kind of work your way up and down your body and it's it's for this total yeah, okay, I gotta, I mean, Did you ever think about the, the huge golf ball size pus ball? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, normally I think you kind of skip that area. Okay, and so then, focusing on others. Okay. Yeah, like your limbs and things like that. Okay. The top of your head, you know, like moving them. Your breath, of course. Um, and And it, it kind of it kind of does that. It, it puts your head into another place. So you're kind of forgetting about everything else and it's, it relaxes you really well. I mean, the first couple of times it, it takes a little bit of practice to do that, but the point is not to actually fall asleep, but to get into this total state of total relaxation. And then, uh, once it's over, I was able to fall asleep a lot better. I so. bet you and Katie have done that together as a couple to go to sleep. We've done that many times. It seems yeah. like you guys do a lot of little bedtime routines as a couple. We do things to try to help make our bedtime habits and routines and um, I think that's very good. Hygiene, bedtime hygiene, is that what we call it? No, I don't think so. No, okay. <laughs> um, to you know, to try to improve those things. And and yoga nidra is one of them for sure. You need to get an IntelliBed. An IntelliBed, <laughs> yeah, you're all about the IntelliBed. I am. I'm not going to go into it here. It's because I'm going to be like an affiliate for them. But but yes, they sent me a bed and it is awesome and we love it. So that is all I'll say about it for now. Um, but my sleep has, has drastically improved. In fact, last night I, so I've started waking up only one time at night when I have to pee. Like I, cause it was, do you have to wake up to pee every night? So I, I never really realized that I did. I just knew that I woke up four or five times in the night. Mm-hmm. Now that that's the only time I wake up, I realize that that's actually waking me up. Hmm. And that never occurred to me before. I thought I was just waking up anyway and figured I'd go to the bathroom since I had to. But now Which... I realize that's the only thing that wakes me up this one time during the night. Uh, so I'm, I'm experimenting now with deadlines for any sort of drinking, not, not alcohol, but just 
any liquid entering my body. So yeah. I did, did 8 p.m. last night, and uh, and it worked better. I did not actually get up, but I did still feel the urge. Anyway, I wonder I'm if that's a habit. That. I wonder if that's something you've trained your body to to get Quite up and possibly, pee. I would imagine. Cause, so even once the, once the urge goes away, I'll still wake up at that time because like, my body just knows it's supposed to go then. Well, like that—that that your body is not used to holding, you know, holding and not not peeing for more than five right. hours or something, right? right. That could you be know, awesome. so so you could you... probably train it otherwise. Just take some time. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, if I start, if I if I I think if I keep pushing back this or pushing up this this deadline, yeah, of drinking something, my body will eventually learn not to do it anymore. But anyway, I mean, I can't. I can't imagine going to sleep and waking up eight hours later the next day, and that you just, you know, like when you were a kid. You, I mean, I do that, you know, maybe not eight hours, but I do that every night. You don't, you just don't wake up the whole night? Hard, hardly ever, yeah. So you have Once no problem I sleeping? I have no problem, no problem sleeping at all, really. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I yeah, certainly, I did during this, during this time. Sure. And, sure. you know, and I go through phases when things are, you know, mm-hmm. stress and all that stuff. But that's, in that's general, good. I would say I can sleep six, seven hours without, that's without any problem. That, that is solid. So that, that's what I would like to get to, and I have experienced remarkable improvement since i got this bed but i'll talk about that later yeah all right so should we uh should we thank sponsors Doug, before we get into yeah the why don't second we, part of our before episode? we get into the second part let's Alrighty. this episode of no Meat athlete radio is brought to you by aloha the holidays are approaching fast keep them outpaced with 18 energizing muscle building grams of plant-based protein aloha protein powder is filled with the very best whole food ingredients like organic peas hemp and pumpkin seeds that keep you going all season long and best of all, Doug, Aloha is the best protein powder I've ever tasted because it's not sweetened with stevia like so many other vegan protein powders. It's sweetened with real apple juice and coconut sugar, and I actually appreciate that. Yeah, I do too. And for an extra boost of whole food, whole body, happy, healthy holiday energy, add Aloha Daily Good Greens to the mix. Just choose one of three delicious blends, chocolate, berry, or original, and pour into your favorite water, juice, smoothie, or dressing. You'll get a full serving of fruit and veggie goodness and a huge burst of energy. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Visit Aloha.com and enter protein code ALOHA20 to get 20% off orders of $50 or more through December 31st, 2015. And this episode is also brought to you by Thrive Market. We all know that healthy eating is part of becoming a better person. So if you're anything like me, you care a lot about the food that you put in your body. The problem is that good food can be extremely expensive, but it doesn't have to be. ThriveMarket.com is the Costco meets Whole Foods online. It's an online shopping club offering the best brands and groceries up to 50% off retail prices, shipped nationally for free. You can easily filter by your preferences, gluten-free, vegan, raw, non-GMO, organic, even fair trade. They even have the best non-toxic household, beauty, pet, and baby products on the market. I just ordered a pack of vegan beef jerky and I am super pumped to try it out. But what I love about Thrive Market the most is their charitable mission. For every paid membership, Thrive Market donates a free membership to a low-income family, teacher, student, or veteran. It's truly a great cause. To start saving now, go to thrivemarket.com slash athlete to start your free 30-day trial and get 20% off your first order. All right, so let's get to the second part of the episode here, Doug, which in the first part we wanted to talk about just how you dealt with the actual pain. Now I'm going to actually answer that question that people asked. How do you deal with the mental and emotional stuff that goes on when you are a runner, somebody who wants to be running every day, someone who maybe depends on running every day, uh, and then suddenly you can't? So you're, you, you more than anyone I really know well fit that 
mold, someone who actually does running because not just because it helps them achieve goals, which is kind of my thing. I like doing it as like a, a means to, to do something that I didn't think I could do. Uh, but you're you're one of those runners who does it because the actual act of running is, you know, joyful to you. It brings you yeah. happiness. Yeah, and you know, I think that... for me and and I, along with everybody else, of course, lose sight of the happiness side of running. Sometimes you get so caught up in those goals or those that data, those mileage splits that it's you know it becomes a little bit of a chore. But but for me in general, um, running is something that brings me great joy and. Um, you know, I, was, I think at the by the time this race came along, I was a little burnt out from a long summer of running, and was was thinking that maybe I would step back a little bit. And then, as, of course, as soon as I couldn't run, you know, any thoughts like that went away. All I wanted to do was go out and and explore the mountains. So it's funny how that happens. That you know, as soon as you don't have something, um, that's all you want, right? Um, but yeah, I think that, that that's really hard. And and one thing that I had to do was. Um, you know, think of ways that I could be excited about running, or outlets that I could I could pursue that would that would fill that same need. So, um, you know, one one thing was was to watch a bunch of running videos, to read some reread some books. I, I am rereading Born to Run. Actually, am listening to it, not reading it, mm-hmm. but audio version of Born to Run, which I hadn't read in a long several years. So that was kind of it's fun to go back and listen to it now, knowing what I know about yeah. the, all the ultra I did, world. I did and the exact same thing. Read the book in 2009 and then in 2013 when I was reading for my 100, listened to it. Mm-hmm. And like, like you know all the people in it now. Yeah. And, right. and the concept, and like, it's not, it's just, it's funny, like how, how much we learned about those people and those concepts in between yeah. the time that that book was written and when we listened to it again. And and to, to think about the whole minimalist thing again. Right. Um, with knowing what, you know, having all these years of, of where it's become a thing and it's and now then it's seeing not it actually has some downsides, yeah. you know, or at mm-hmm. least some people who, who say that. Yeah, that, that I experienced the exact same thing. Yeah, but you know, I mean, I think that that's a that's it's really hard when when you really want to run and you and you can't run. So uh, another thing I did was plan for 2016. I got really excited about a bunch of races. I got created a uh, an Excel sheet and put out all the races, my dream races for the next year line them all up see how they all kind of fit together so you know for me it was kind of acknowledging the fact that i couldn't run but how can i what outlets do i have to to kind of be still excited about running and you know about the future of running part of that was that i knew that this poison ivy would eventually go away and i could um run again you know so if you were dealing with a really long-term injury i think that that would be a little more frustrating but yeah so in that case i mean you you would be because I was thinking that perhaps you would have, you know, taken that that typical energy you put into running and put it into something that you could do right now instead that wasn't related to running, like right? Play chess or something, yeah. <laughs> something, something you could do without bothering your groin. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that the but so um, someone who who you know loses a limb or something or or even that I mean you can find a way to run with that nowadays, but someone who has something happen where they are not going to be running for many months, years, or ever again. I mean, of course, it, it's going to be find a different outlet for that same... Something that does the same thing for you. Yeah, it gives but them you, the same But for you, it's such a short-term thing, it wasn't quite like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't have to leave the whole running room. But, you know, if if you were to get injured with, like, a, a knee injury or something that you couldn't run, but you could still be active, you know, I think that instead of getting down on yourself about that, instead of 
just giving up exercise altogether, you know, try learn try to learn a new sport or, or pick up something like biking or or swimming or something like that that um, that f- makes you feel good and, and gives you the same thrill, but doesn't hurt that injury as much. And then it keeps you in shape for when you can run, and you you know you keep up that endurance for that. What good. other what other tips do you have for not being able to run? It's it's one. I mean, I have. I've never been able to answer this well. Like this is why we haven't answered it until now, and I've gotten the question ten times in email. I'm sure. Um, when I was injured, it, it, it was seven years ago now that that I was actually having injuries that prevented me from running. In that time, I was so focused on the Boston thing that uh, I mean, I wasn't great at it. When, when those big injuries would happen, the big setbacks would come. That would often throw me off of running. Like the, the injury might last a month, but then I wouldn't run again for four months or six months which is probably mm-hmm. not a surprise to people given what i've said on this podcast and in my blog about like how my relationship with running anyway that it's it's very hot and cold and i can get into it and then i get very out of it so when i have an injury that puts me out for a month what i've done is found it you know it, it's frustrating for a little while but then once it kind of lasts and it's more than a few weeks then then i i move on to something else and it just you know I, it's I, i'm not I don't continue to stay frustrated that I can't get back to running. Yeah, because my mind easily shifts gears and goes and does something else, mm-hmm. which is which is good in that situation in in terms of my you know level of frustration, right? But bad in other ways because that you know it's a it's a dedication to running that is that is weak sometimes. Fleeting. You know, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> so uh, you know, good and bad. Um, uh, you know, but I think that I think kind of what you're what you're saying is that, and that for a lot of people, that the reason they get so bummed when they can't run is is because it sets them back on a goal, right? It means they, they're not able to achieve this goal or whatever they had envisioned for um, for that season or, or those weeks or something like that. Right. Um, and and the, for me, I think when, when I realized that I couldn't run and that it would be weeks, what I tried to do is think back on, um, to let go of those goals, but think back on what it is about running that I really enjoy so much, you know, and it's, it's the being outside, it's the adventure, it's all that kind of stuff that is really what keeps me going. And, even when I do get focused on those goals and those, you know, PRs and stuff like that, um, you know, really the reason I, I go out and run every day is is because of these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can figure out what those are, if you can remember what those are, what got you motivated to run in the first place, um, then it's a lot easier to find other ways to do that. So if it's just being outside or being out in the woods or something like that, then you don't have to run to do that kind of thing. Or if it's the community or being with friends or, or being active, then there are other avenues and outlets for you to do that. So, um, and then, and then, you know, as you're, as you're doing them other ways, it makes running less, the act of running itself less, um, necessary. Yeah. To me, that's a specific example of something that we talked about a few months ago on the podcast. Uh, and something that I'm still kind of working with myself after really only recently being introduced to it. And that is the idea of, of not having your goals and your happiness being tied together. Mm. So for me that I've always been a, a, certainly a goal seeker type someone who gets motivated by big goals um enjoys the process of going after them and you know my life is a series of those uh but what i've learned is and people have asked like how can you how can you have this and also be you know into meditation something that really doesn't have a goal with it uh or how can you how can you you know how can somebody who's into goals also find any sort of joy in that stuff and the the answer i think and you know not not that i was doing it correctly all along it's not like i'm not trying to say that, that was the case but um if you can 
you, you can have this big grand vision for your goals, this thing that would happen in an ideal world, and you can be working on it. But the progress toward that goal should not be the stuff that affects your day-to-day happiness levels. And, and that's a really, really hard thing to, to do. Because when we have the big goal, we think that goal is going to make us happy. So it's very natural for us to tie our happiness into it. But if instead you can practice those other habits, the meditation stuff, all these other things that are tied to happiness, like like forgiveness, the emotion of forgiveness, many, many other things that just, you know, have been, because there's a lot of, of happiness research that's happening now. And people are determining that it's the stuff that we think makes us happy isn't really what it is. It's more these kind of fundamental things like meditation, like you know, the emotion of forgiveness, the emotion of gratitude. So if you can practice these things on a day-to-day basis and, and like really make the time for them, and it's hard to do it, but make the time for those things totally independent of your goal. Like the, the you're not grateful necessarily for the progress on your goal. Um, you know, while you're meditating, you're not visualizing the achievement of your goal. It's just a totally different thing. So you can be happy. You can use these techniques, use the happiness research techniques to create happiness in your life that exists totally independently of whether or not you're making progress towards this goal. So for you, that that stays within running. You're saying, okay, so I'm not making progress towards this goal anymore, but how can I still be happy with this act of running? For me, it's always been something where, and I guess this is something I was doing naturally, when I would suddenly be shaken off the, the path of trying to qualify for Boston, um, you know, my brain was able to find ways to be happy with other stuff and and still have that in my head saying, I'd love for one day to be able to do that. Um, but to be okay that you're not making progress on it right now. You're, you're doing what you can, you know, and when you're injured, what you can do isn't really very much in the way yeah. of running. So, I, I th- Yeah, I think that that gets, like, well, your example was, or your, your thing that you said was difficult was that the goal makes you happy, and if you can't work towards the goal, then, you know, it's hard to be happy that way. That that was the struggle, but I think for a lot of people, and for for like me with running, a lot of times we set goals with that are related to activities that make us happy, Amazing, right? right? And so, um, you know, whether it's whether it's guitar, you know, the the guitar, the act of playing guitar is is a lot of fun, and you get joy from that, and you're happy because of that, and then all of a sudden, um, and you so you set goals because of that, and then if you, you know, so I, I think that by compartment you can they can still be related to the same activity but if you can compartmentalize those yes, things you yes, know yep. then i think that that's that's good and you have to always remember and it's so hard to it's so easy to get caught up in those goals so easy to get caught up in that stuff but if you can separate it then yep absolutely yeah so i mean so untangling you know i said untangling your happiness from your goals i think in in your situation uh just to sum this up that's untangling the happiness that running brings you from the happiness of achieving running goals right good okay well i'd say we we beat that one into the ground huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess so all right so we've got one more segment that we are trying out and that is uh, a blatant ripoff of scott van pelt's one big thing espn radio guy i don't even know if he still has a show but he i used to listen to his radio show and he used to do this one big thing at the end so what we're gonna do is uh for the time being one thing i learned one thing i learned in the past week about health, some fun fact about running. Who knows? Maybe it's about something totally different. Maybe it's about Doug and his crotch and the golf ball size thing. Maybe I'm just going to make that one my one thing I learned. Oh, man. But I am not. The one thing I learned uh, relates to alcohol. We talk about alcohol a lot on here uh, in a recreational sort of context. Drinking, neither of us seems to have any sort of major drinking problem. So it's not something that we uh, apologize for because we both do like drinking a little beer now and then. Uh, while still kind of have, having health at the at the forefront. So the relationship for me between alcohol and health has kind of always been an interesting one. I've talked about how, unfortunately, and this happens not just with alcohol, but with lots of things, the articles that we 
share on the internet, the ones that, that go viral, that make the rounds, they're often not the ones with the message that we need to hear, but instead they're the ones with the message that we want to hear. So we don't hear often this idea that, that alcohol has a link to, to cancers. We, that's not really something that goes viral very often. When, when a big story about it comes out, it does, but it's just generally we kind of have the sentiment, alcohol is good for you. A little bit of drinking is actually good for you. That that's a story that we love to tell ourselves, uh, and I'm I'm no different. I have it helps with the recovery, right? All kinds of good things. I mean, it <laughs> relaxes you, it prevents heart disease. All sorts of good things happen uh, when we drink alcohol, and we like to we like to share those. So anyway, I I read an article a while ago, um, pointed to I was pointed towards it by Further.net, which is a, a newsletter that you and I like to read sometimes. Uh, interesting article by the New England Journal of Medicine, and what it showed was just general mortality rate, risk of, of dying, was least among people who had one drink per day. It was somewhat higher in people who had no drinks per day. But what was really interesting about the study was that even though one was the best, one was the way you could you know, lessen at the most your, your just general mortality rate, um, that even, even people who... So it got worse as you drank more and more drinks, of course. But even people who drank six or more drinks per day, and that, that was the highest answer you could give on the survey, I guess, uh, they still had a lower mortality rate than people who drank zero drinks per day, which was really interesting to me. And so, of course, I mentioned it on this podcast and somewhere else because, like I said, we kind of tend to, to fall victim to this. Hey, if it supports what we're doing, we want to share that. Well, I read Dr. Greger's book, talked to him in our recent podcast episode, and one really kind of interesting thing I learned there was that nearly all the supposed benefits of alcohol disappear among people who are already doing some minimum amount of keeping themselves healthy. (laughs) So all that stuff is applied to this general population of people who unfortunately are really, really unhealthy. When you look at how our, you know, society, our health on average, is not very good. So the the study that showed, you know, that, that alcohol tended not to do anything good for people who, who were healthy considered healthy people those who drank who ate one fruit or vegetable serving per day fruit or vegetable one per day 30 minutes of exercise per day and did not smoke that was all it took to be considered a healthy person and for those people there was no positive effect of drinking any alcohol all there is is still the slightly increased risk of certain cancers so not the best news for people who like who like to drink their beer and and say well it's good for me I don't. I don't know if I believe it. No, you don't. No. Don't believe because, Dr. Because I studies? have seen so many more articles <laughs> yeah. on BuzzFeed and Huffington Post saying that it's better <laughs> right. for me. So you know, okay. I, you know, I gotta believe those, right? <laughs> of course you do. Um, but anyway, so a couple. One more little interesting thing about alcohol. Just while we're on the topic, also from Dr. Greger's book, which is called "How Not to Die." By the way, if you're interested in it, um, that as little less than one drink per day. What was still associated with a small risk of increase for breast cancer, and that seems to be the one that that is the most linked to alcohol. Um, I, I, you know, don't quote me on that. I could be wrong about that because it's also head and neck sort of cancers. But interestingly, red wine was the one alcohol form that seemed not to raise the risk of breast cancer. At least I don't know about the other ones, but it's thought that there's some sort of combat, some sort of enzyme uh, or compound or something in the grapes that prevents you know kind of undoes whatever is is causing is the mechanism that is linking it to cancer Hmm. Uh, he does point out however that you can still get the same compound from plain old grape juice or grapes 
or berries or mushrooms. So it's not like you need the red wine in order to get this, right. this benefit. Um, lots of other fruits and vegetables do that too. So oh. that's so, so is alcohol. that going to change your, your drinking habits at all? You know, it, it already has just slightly, which is not at all to say that it will long term. But I think we kind of all have this sort of reactionist approach or reactionary. I don't know what the word is. Uh, when we read something, we, we want this knee-jerk kind of response to it. We tend to do that. So I've I've definitely like thought twice in the evenings, like, hey, wow, maybe I've lost that pillar that I was kind of leaning on. That like this is actually a little bit good for me because it helps prevent heart disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have that anymore. So I'm just like I wouldn't say it has. Usually, I have one beer a night or one glass of wine per night. A few nights in the past week, I didn't. So I guess in that way, it, it lessened it. But that's also tied into what I mentioned about the sleep, trying to not. Yeah, not have drinks. I definitely think it has a negative impact on sleep. Oh yeah, I think that is that is well established. Mm -hmm. So anyway, probably a little bit longer than I will spend on uh, on what I learned this week. But it's the first one, so you got to go big. That's right. (laughs) Or in my case, you got to get questioned right out the bat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do some more research for the next time. I no, I'd I'd like to know actually how that poison ivy thing goes. So you've inspired me to to look up poison ivy and evolution. All, all right. right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for periscoping, if that's what it's called. Hey, I have sun rays all over my face. I didn't know that. This has been fun. We'll probably keep doing the periscope thing, probably tweaking it and trying to get make it a little bit better. But uh, appreciate listening. Appreciate you watching. And we'll talk to you next time. All right. Take care.